This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Wonderful to see you all here this afternoon. Uh, we'll be given uh, what's the last in a series of studies that we've uh, been, been visiting about the truth. And uh, first we started out looking for, for what is the truth and trying to establish what exactly that was. Uh, and if you'll think back to that sermon, we talked about uh, truth and fables. We talked about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error and that those two things are out there and those two things exist. What is truth? Well, we've we established through the scriptures by reading there in 1 John chapter 4 and several verses there that the truth is uh, uh, one that would confess Christ or we establish from that basis that, that Christ is true. We establish that people are true if they are of God and, and in that context that God is true. And then if uh, the apostle there or, or John kept, kept saying if they hear us, then they're hearing the truth, and by extension, hearing us was hearing that apostolic doctrine, the doctrine that they taught there, which we have as, as the Word of God today, so the inspired Word. That's where truth is. That's what is truth. That is absolute. We can count on that. We look to the Scriptures, and we see there within the Scriptures the truth, always. And to contrast that, that, that spirit of error or fables were those that wouldn't confess Jesus, those that were of the world instead of being of God, and then those that would refuse to hear the word or ignore what's written in the word. That's fables, that's false, that's the spirit of error, and we're told that we can know the difference between the two by simply looking at those three very, very basic and very simple things. We know that we can look to Christ, we know that we can look to God, and we know that we can look to the word. Those are the places that we can go to find truth. And then we spent several studies just talking about this process of seeking the truth and how to go about that. Because even when we know the right place to look, sometimes we find differences in the way that people interpret the truth. Uh, just simply, even though they're looking in the same place. So number one, you do have to be looking in the right place. You do have to look to the Word of God. You do look, have to look to the Father and the Son. You have to admit that you're probably bringing in some baggage when you come into a study of the Word, that you probably have some preconceived ideas of what you think is right, what you think is wrong, and that it's necessary to lay those things to the side and accept the Word for what it is. And as we read the Word and we see something that contrasts our belief, if it's written in the Word and it contrasts what we think it should be or what it means, then we've got to accept the Word and not our own thought process. We've got to go to God in prayer. We've got to prepare our minds and be in a place that's quiet and ready to study and receive the word. And then we simply have to read and meditate upon the word. God's given us the word so that we can understand it, so that we can have it. He doesn't want it to be overly complicated for us. There are some complicated subjects in the word of God, obviously. But God wants us to understand it. He wants us to come to a knowledge of the truth. That he's given us the word to read and to meditate or just think about on, revolve it in our mind. It should continually be in our mind so that we're thinking about it over and over again. We dedicated a whole lesson just to interpreting the word and what that looks like and how to 
how to, to go about breaking down the word and, and looking for meanings and looking for, for some of those things that we have in those more complicated subjects. And we'll not go all the way back through that. We talked a lot about this idea of comparing the word to the word, where we can look at different places that, that say different things about the same subject in the scriptures and put it all together uh, for a total picture of the truth. And then finally, asking people that we trust, uh, asking elders in the church, asking our brothers and sisters in Christ that study the Word what they think about a passage and comparing that back to what the Word says, our own ideas, and coming through that whole process to a nice picture of the truth. And so all that's wonderful, all that's good. Let's just say you've done all that and you've come to this uh, understanding or knowledge of the truth. You have the truth, and I think you do. I think that's why you're here today. I think that's why you care about how we worship. I think that's why you care about how you live your life every day. You have the knowledge of the truth. But there's still some times when, when you don't fully submit to that, do you? And so that's what we're going to study this afternoon is submitting to the truth. We've got the truth God's given us the truth. He's given it us in, in a nice little uh, uh, book, a compact set of readings that we can turn to and look at and have the truth. And yet still, there are times we don't submit to it. Why is that? The Bible tells us very clearly in James chapter 4, verse number 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, the devil is going to do everything in his power to make sure that you don't ever get to the truth. He's going to put up roadblock after roadblock. He's going to put people in your way that will teach you some of these fables or falsehoods. He's going to do everything he can so that you don't understand the truth. But then when you break through and you understand the truth anyway and you turn to God's word and you interpret it properly, then he's not going to quite give up just yet. He's going to put temptations in front of you and he's going to hope that even though you know better, that you'll fall. I think about a story in the book of Daniel uh, where there was a, a, a young king. It said that he was Nebuchadnezzar's son. He was actually his grandson. But his name was Belshazzar. And you remember the story how that he threw a wild party there as, as his, uh, his actual father was out uh, fighting a war. He was in command of the country. And instead of ruling well, he throws this wild party. And at the party, the hand comes out and writes on the wall. You've been weighed in the measures and you've been found wanting. And as uh, Daniel talks to him about this process, he tells him about his, his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, you saw that Nebuchadnezzar didn't humble himself. You saw all this go through, all, all the things that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He's turned out in the field as a wild beast, and he runs around on all fours for all that time. He goes crazy, he loses his mind. And he says to him one thing that, that I've always remembered. And he said, even though you knew all this, you still didn't obey God. You still didn't humble yourself. And I've put myself in those shoes so many times. And I think, I know better. I know not to do this sin, or I know that I should go do this. I've heard lesson after lesson over how I should behave and what I should do, and yet I find myself not doing that. Why? I know better. 
It's because Satan keeps putting those things out in front of us. He keeps putting those things, those barriers. The definition of submit. I want to notice to subject oneself to obey. To submit to one's control. We're not in control. That's what subjecting ourselves to the truth really means. That we understand that we don't make the rules. It's not us who makes the rules. We don't get to say how we should act, what we should do, where we should go. We're not in charge. God is in charge. He has made the law. He has set the rules. And for us to submit ourselves to him means that we're going to give ourselves over. To yield to one's admonition or advice. To obey or be subject. Submission and obedience are, are very uh, similar things. So we need to obey God, right? We need to obey God. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. I want to read verses 18 to 21 here. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 21. There's a couple different kinds of, of ways we can go about not submitting. There's some folks that don't submit because they look at the word of God and they say, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like what God's word says. I don't like that I'm being restricted in that area of my life. And I want to do something different. And that's what I want to read about here in Romans chapter 1. In verse number 18 it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. What are they doing? They're holding the truth. They have the truth. They know the truth. But they're holding that truth and unrighteousness. How are they doing that? Because that, when they may be known of God, is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. So this group of people look at God's truth. And they have his truth. It says they're without excuse because they have full knowledge of his truth. They've seen it in nature. They've seen it in the word. They have a grasp of the truth. But it says that they, they ignored him. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They put themselves in front of God. They moved their own lusts, their own imaginations, their own desires. They moved those things above God. And they said, I'm not going to follow God. They didn't submit to the truth. Let me ask you a question. Does knowing the truth do you any good if that's what you're going to do with it? If you know the word of God. I read a, a post on Facebook yesterday, last evening. And the guy said, it was, a, it was a little Bible quiz that pops up there every so often. How many questions can you get right in the Bible? And the, how many do you know? And this gentleman got on there and made a post. I know all of them, but I renounce God and I renounce the Bible. Well, what good does it do you? What good does it do you to know the answers to all the questions in the Bible if you're not going to submit yourselves? And that's what happened here. It goes on to say, and we'll read some of this later on, but he, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. It's not the way to go. I don't think most of us here tonight are in that situation. Now, I can't judge your hearts. I don't know your thoughts. But I'm betting that because... You're in an assembly of the Lord on a Sunday afternoon when you could be doing thousands of other things that 
that you have a desire to do what God has asked you to do. That you love the truth. You know the truth and you want to follow the truth. And yet sometimes we still don't get that done, do we? Paul said in Romans 7 and 19, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Seems I find myself in that situation sometimes. I know what I want to do. And I know how I want to follow God. And then when I wake up one day and look at my life, I'm like, not getting it done. Not getting it done. Or I see things that I want to put out of my life and root out of my life. And I wake up and look at my life one day and I think I'm just not getting that done. And I have to ask myself, why is that? When I want to follow God, I'm not in that category of people that would just say, I don't like what God says, and I don't care what God says. I'm going to live how I want to live. And I don't think you are either. But we still fail from time to time, don't we? And I'm going to put the blame right squarely here on the flesh. It's the flesh that causes that to happen. Paul in, the, in Romans 7 is contrasting the spirit and the flesh. He's contrasting those two things. He continues to do that in the 8th chapter of Romans. And we'll read some of those things there. But he says in verse 7 of Romans chapter 8, The carnal mind is enmity against God. I want you to listen to what it says here. The carnal mind. He says, it is not subject to the law of God. It has not submitted itself to the law of God. And look at what it says furthermore. Neither indeed can be. If you have the flesh uh, overriding your spirit, you cannot serve God. You cannot. The flesh will not, cannot, is incapable of serving God. That's why God says we've got to put off this flesh. We've got to put off this fleshly tabernacle before we can enter into our, our heavenly home, before we can enter into glory, because flesh cannot serve God. And as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to have a battle going on, and you've got to recognize that battle, and you've got to be ready day by day to fight that battle. Back in the seventh chapter of Romans, and, and verse number 18, he says, For I know that in me... That is, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. You cannot find it in your flesh. You cannot find the ability to do good in your flesh. And so the flesh becomes a problem for us, doesn't it? I wish we could get rid of it in the here and now, but we can't. We're always going to have to deal with the flesh. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about how to do that. But... The next thing I want to notice is just pure selfishness. And I suppose you could lump these two things together. But really that flesh is always going to be there. We can't get rid of it. This selfishness is when we start to want to serve that flesh. When we start to put the desires of that flesh above the desires of God. That's when we begin to really have problems. Flesh is always going to be there. We can deal with it until we develop a selfish attitude of I want to serve myself. And that's why people look at the word of God and they say, I know what it says, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's why people begin to say, well, I was just born this way and therefore I'm going to do this because I was born this way. God says, yeah, you were born that way. I've called you to change. I've called you to repentance. I've called you to something different and something better. You were born that way. I've told you to deny yourself. Deny yourself those things. 
And yet selfishness becomes a big problem, doesn't it? Romans chapter 10 and verse number 3. It says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have what not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. When we want to establish our own way of doing things, and that's where this whole, this whole idea of, of not absolute truth, of this, this idea that absolute truth doesn't exist comes from, we try to establish our own righteousness, our own way of doing things. And he said, when you do that, you're not submitting to God. You're not submitting to God. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 2. It says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You know, we can look to this as one of those bad lists in the scriptures that tells us a whole list of things we shouldn't do, things we should avoid. I want you to notice where it starts. It starts with being a lover of your own self. When you're a lover of your own self, it will prevent you from submitting to God's truth. Because God's truth speaks out against this whole list of sin and evil. God's truth speaks out over and over against these things. And to live a life that's different than that kind of life. But when you love yourself, it leads you right into all these behaviors. Right into all these behaviors. It just feeds the flesh. It feeds the flesh. And we've got to avoid that. So here's the bottom line, I guess. You really have two options. When you know the truth, when you know exactly what the truth is, you have two options. You can either look at this battle of the flesh and of selfishness, and you can say, I'm just going to give in and I'm going to serve myself. That's certainly an option that you have. But it's not the option I would recommend. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, Paul says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. He said, if that's what you want to do, that's what you can do. You can serve the flesh. Every day of your life, you can serve the flesh. You can be selfish. You can take care of the flesh. But what's the result? The next verse says, be carnally minded is death. It's not a good choice. Not a good choice. You know, serving self will bring you some temporary uh, happiness, if you want to say that, in this life. Bring you some temporary pleasure in this life. But it's not going to last. To be carnally minded is death. It will lead you down a path that goes nowhere but death. Why is that? Verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It can't be. It can't be. And when you feed the flesh and you are carnally minded, you cannot please God can't do it so that's not a good option is it it's certainly an option but it's not a good option the other option is that you would fight the flesh and that you would deny yourself you wouldn't become selfish in your imaginations but you would fight against self deny self and fight the flesh Titus chapter 2 and verse 12 teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world 
denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust, acknowledging that, yes, my flesh is tempted by those things. Yes, my flesh desires those things, but I can fight against it. The verse prior to that says that it's, it's Christ that has taught us that. It's the, the knowing that Christ has come, that Christ has died for us, that Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And we see that, and that teaches us that we should deny ungodliness, that we should deny worldly lusts. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, look, look at what it says here. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we do not walk after the flesh, if we look at those things and that long list that we saw earlier, and we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk after the Spirit. I'm going to look at this truth that God has called me to do, and I'm going to practice that every day. A day at a time. A day at a time. That's what it really takes. A day at a time. To not walk after the flesh that day, but to walk after the Spirit that day. Galatians 5 and verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. When we really belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh. You know, think about the crucifixion of Jesus. The pain, the agony, the suffering that he went to. And at the end of that, his flesh died. His flesh died. The fleshly body. Now, Jesus never had any sin. So he was able to be a perfect sacrifice for us. But for us to really put away that old man, we've got to go through a similar kind of process. We obey the gospel, we come up out of the water, our sins are forgiven. It said when we do that, that the body of sin might be destroyed. But you don't miraculously come up out of that water without any evil desires anymore. It just doesn't happen that way. You don't just automatically not want to sin anymore. You don't just automatically get rid of all the affections and all the lusts. That becomes a continual process. Continual process. So how do we go about that as we begin to bring our remarks to a close? How do we go about that? Getting rid of the flesh, crucifying the flesh. Let's look at three simple little things. First, we've got to love God's law. We've got to really develop a love for the law. You know, we can say we love God and we can say we love his law. But if we really secretly read that and we think, that's not for me. That, that one's not for me. That's for everybody else out there, but not for me. That's not loving God's law. We've got to love it. In, in the 119th Psalm, there are a couple verses I want to call to your attention. Verse 97 says, oh how, I love, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. All right, how much do you love God's law? <clears throat> Zane asked us this morning at the table, how often do you think about the death of Jesus during the week? How much do you think about his crucifixion during the week? How much do you think about God's law? The psalmist said, all the time, every day. All day long, I think about your law. Why? Because I love it that much. It's more fun than anything else I can think about. It's more joyful than anything else I can think about. It is what gives me life, and therefore I think about it all day long. We need to have his law in our minds. Do you love God's law that much to think about it? 
Think about it when you're driving. Think about it when you're playing golf. Think about it when you're doing whatever it is that you do. The other verse says in verse 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I hate vain thoughts. Do you hate vain thoughts or do you dwell on vain thoughts? Do you keep those thoughts in your mind and let them take over your meditation and revolve them in your mind over and over? If you do, you got to root them out. You got to hate the vain thoughts. You got to love God's law. You got to keep that in your mind all the time, over and over again. You got to continually do a self examination. I mean, continually, over and over again. I'm pretty bad about gathering around the table and giving myself a good self-examination, which is the time that is dedicated for that. It's a very, very important time to do that. But then I kind of let myself go for the rest of the week until we come back around the table again. And then, oh, yeah, I'm going to examine myself, and I'm going to think about what I messed up, and, and I'll fix it next week. And then I let myself go another week. We need to do that. It's a time set aside for us to do that, but we need to go through a continual examination. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. He reminds himself, Jesus is in me. I'm serving Christ. I'm doing God's law. I'm doing Christ's law. Christ is in me. Am I living that way? Am I walking worthy of a servant of Christ? When people see me, do they see Christ? Do they see the life that Christ lived in me? That's what he says they should see. Examine yourself, not once a week, all the time. Think about God's law, and as God's law is revolving in your mind all the time, over and over again, and something pops into your mind that's in God's law that you see you need to change, Acknowledge it and make the change. And that leads us into the final thought. You've got to be willing to repent. Just like it doesn't do any good to know the truth and not obey the truth, it doesn't do any good to see something wrong in your life and not be willing to make the change. You've got to be willing to make the change. And that's what true repentance is. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. He contrasts two different kinds of sorrow. He says you've either got godly sorrow that leads to repentance, or you've got uh, the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world says, man, I'm sorry I did that. I'm going to keep doing it again. I'm not going to make a change. It's examining self and not making the change when you need to make the change. Godly sorrow is making the change. And so, as we wrap these things up, I'd just like to ask you to examine yourself for just a minute. To take a look at your, your life. To think about the truth that is God's truth. You know the truth. You know the truth. God sent His Son to this world to live a perfect example for us. He lived that. Every day, He lived a perfect example he went to the cross and he sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could have life. He's done that for you. That's the truth. And in his word, he has laid out how you should live. He's given you a blueprint of a life that leads to, to him, that leads to a home in heaven 
when you do finally put off this flesh, when you do finally get rid of this earthly tabernacle, he's provided you that blueprint. You know what it is. You hear about it every Sunday and every Wednesday. You hear about it. You learn about it. You open the pages of the scripture and it speaks to you what God's word is, what his will is for you. You know what it is. Are you thinking about it all the time? Is it constantly the thing that you think about? Are you willing to look at yourself and acknowledge when you don't live up to that blueprint? Are you willing to make the change? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. Or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.